0: Thank you, Pat. I know I tend to be a little bit bookish with these talks. This one is not that uh, I'm going to share an experience that I had while praying. And it wasn't just praying in general, it was a very specific prayer in a very specific time. Uh, believe it or not, Four Mayo Brothers does have a core team. We don't talk about it a lot, not that many of us. Uh, And uh, we try to be quiet about the core team so that the group is more organic. And it's more of a service to the group as opposed to being too organized or anything. So I joined on Father Dyer's invitation in the fall. My first meeting was in September. As was on a Tuesday, I think it was the third. And uh, it was a Tuesday night. And I would go to the chapel and I was praying the rosary. And it was a Tuesday, so I was praying the sorrowful mysteries. And I was working my way through the, the mysteries, and I was in number three, which is, uh, of course, the crowning with thorns. And I was thinking, as you know, I was meditating and praying the rosary, and I was reflecting on what Jesus had already been through at that point. I'm to put a pin on that. It's, I know it's Advent. It's not, it, 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 we're not in the season of Lent or Easter. It's Advent. Hopefully what comes out is that like, this prayer is actually about anticipation. Anticipation, waiting, perseverance, and endurance. And letting things unfold in their own time and entering into that, which is unfolding with it, a certain level of enthusiasm. So that's the first thing I want to keep in mind. second thing is, yes, I'm going to be talking about the crucifixion. I'm going to be talking about Jesus carrying his cross, but I'm not in a way that's about hope it comes out. that it's not negative. It's not. it's not all bad. So a little context. So as I was praying the rosary, I wasn't praying for me. I was praying for you guys, like the guys who are here, I would just, I could see your faces in my mind. I could hear your voices. And I remember the conversations that we had. It's very specific. Because sometimes we can look at, at who's not here and say, oh, who can we, who can we get that's new? And I say, no. I was praying for and about you and us and what we're doing here. And that was my intention as I prayed the rosary. I was like, I don't, like, I didn't want to be on the court team. I told Father Diary, I don't know, give me some time. It took me three or four days to get back to him. So as I was praying the third mystery, the third sorrowful mystery, I was thinking about what Jesus had endured. He'd already been, he's, he's, he's entered into his public ministry after being here for 30 years. Maybe he wanted to enter when he was 12. You know, we have the story of the finding in the temple. Maybe Jesus wanted to start his public ministry then, but he didn't. Instead, he went back and was obedient with his, with his to his, his mom and dad and he grew and and wisdom and favor among God and men. That's what scripture tells us. So he was patient then at some point Joseph died and they took care of Joseph. He entered into his public ministry with some hesitancy, the wedding at Cana woman. Don't you know, my hour has not yet come. Uh, his hour courses, his passion. You're, you're like, don't ask me to reveal who I am right now. It's not the right time. So here's Jesus waiting in his, and in the, and in the incarnation, Jesus is wait, this is, what I'm thinking about. Then he'd enter the passion. So he, he, he had the transfiguration. He sets his face to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem. He does a temple entry. He suffers through the, the, the holy week events. He, he, he does the, the, you know, clears out the temple. He has all those events that we read about during Easter. And then just the night of the passion. Like he He's already gone through Gethsemane, which is the middle of the night. So all through the night, he's arrested. He could have, he stayed Peter's hand, no stop. These are all things that I was thinking about. I was like, wow, all this stuff has happened. And there's Jesus with a crown of thorns on, wearing a purple cloak, getting mocked by a bunch of idiot soldiers who are bowing down before him. They're mocking him by worshiping him. They're mocking him by calling him King of the Jews. And he is King. And we just celebrated that, right? Christ the King Sundays a couple weeks ago. And he just sits there. I was like, "Quick, like, what was he experiencing as he just sat there?" And then uh, I look over at, the, so I'm just, I'm like, "Man, okay, that's a lot to go through." It's like, "But he's kind of in it." And he's kind of in it. So I was thinking, how many of us have gone through experiences where we waited for them to come, and they're difficult, and then we're in it, and the end is almost there, right? The end's in sight. He's gone through the trial. He's been condemned to death. He's been scourged. A lot of people died during scourging. You know, they had the cat's tail, three-pronged or nine-pronged leathers with stuff in it, and they have 40 lashes across the back. So he basically has no skin on his back. He's bleeding. Has to hurt. And then they put this cloak on him. They leave it on him for a while, right? And then they take, they strip it off of him. Mark tells a story, Mark fifteen. They stripped this thing off. That means all the wounds, like the, the the cloak had sat there and blood had soaked into it, the blood had dried, it's inside his you know, skinless back, and then they they probably weren't gentle, they probably ripped it off and all of a sudden boom, he's bleeding again. And that's worse than ripping off a dandy. It's this pretty miserable spot, but there's like as I'm praying for you guys, as I'm praying about us, what we're doing, is like there's a little bit of sweetness in it, too. There's just this little leaven of, hey, this is good because I'm almost done. This is what I came to do. I came to suffer this because I want to redeem everybody. And he's almost there. He's in his passion. He's almost there. Now I was thinking, as I finished up the third mystery, I'm thinking, all right, there's this little sweetness, this little glimmer of completion it's in his sight. And he says on the cross to tell us that it's done. He's almost there and to spell perfect. a perfect means once it's done, it's always done. It's not this ongoing thing as the present. It's not this past completed, but not still ongoing as the errors. Whatever. See, I, I go bookish. So I, I finish up the third sorrowful mystery and I go to the fourth. Jesus carries his cross. At this point I was overwhelmed because uh, I'm sitting in the chapel. So those two, those two groups of of chairs, I'm in the last, but it's actually really busy, which is encouraging to me. I'm in the last seat in the corner on the aisle back row. Father Dyer's up here. And I just look up at that little statue of Joseph. You guys have been there. You've seen the statue of Joseph. He's just doing this. Hammer chisel wood. And I just imagined what Jesus, I have a piece of olive wood I almost brought it in. When Jesus touched that cross, what flooded his mind? And it, it's like, it's going to take me a couple minutes to describe it, but it hit me like that. It's just like, boom, in my head. It's like, Whoa. Memories of his father, not just Joseph, his heavenly father too. Cause there's Joseph working the wood. So crosses, Sometimes some people think they carved new ones Some sometimes it was reclaimed wood. Imagine if it was new wood, it smelled. Jesus was a carpenter. He spent his whole life working with wood. He knew that wood really well, the familiarity of the cross. So as he touches that wood to go pick it up, imagine the was a flooded of it, working in the workshop at Joseph, you know, chiseling away, working on that wood. We don't know a lot about Joseph. Uh, Scripture tells us some some aspects about who he was, Uh, but we probably have some reflection of who Joseph was and the the, the character of Jesus. And we know that he was a a resolute man, a man who took care of his his family, kept them safe. He fled with with Jesus and Mary to protect them from Herod He came back from Egypt when the time was right, but settled in a different town because Herod's kids were still looking for Jesus. Um, So we know certain things about his character. The man was steady, decisive, action-oriented, and he was also devout. We know that. He dedicated Jesus on the eighth day, had him circumcised just like a devout Jew would. They weren't that rich because they used doves. Also, they were were poor. Not poor, but at least working class. Uh, we know that um, when Jesus was 12, it tells us that they regularly went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. So he was a decisive, protective man who devoutly led his family to a good relationship with God. Of course, they had God incarnate in his house. And he had Immaculate Mary in his house, so maybe it was easier for him than it is for us. But we know that we know that he we know that he taught Jesus. And he was probably pretty good as a carpenter because when John records, when Jesus was in his hometown performing miracles or doing things, people said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Uh, so I didn't say, isn't this Joseph's son? I said, isn't this the carpenter's son? So Joseph was identified with his, with his craft. He still is. That's why he has a hammer or a mallet and the statues of it. So Jesus grew up with a workman who worked wood. So memories of his father probably overwhelmed. There's a sweetness in that. There's a familiarity in that, a nostalgia, a recovery of his childhood, a recovery of when things were easier and innocent before he was in his hour. And uh, it struck me that Jesus grew up working the instrument of his death with his father. Wow, okay. So he probably recalled all that because he's going to die for us. And then I thought of the heavenly father. He tells us all the time in John that he and his father are one. And here he is, the God incarnate. And he picks up that wood. Um, so I immediately thought of Genesis 22, the sacrifice of Isaac. It's sort of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. And if you look at, if you go to the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, one of the altar pieces they have, the mysteries of the rosary around the altar and for the sorrowful mysteries, they have Jesus carrying his cross. He's way down here like this. And then so they have the then underneath they have an Old Testament analog. And for this one. You see Abraham building the altar out of wood. I saw this after I had this reflection. After this prayer, I, I was up there with my family and saw it. This is. Mid October. So, Genesis 22. So, Jesus, it's obvious from scripture that Jesus knew the Old Testament pretty well. Yeah, he's God incarnate, but he's also a man. And he was well versed in new scripture. He could quote from it. He's probably a pretty good exegete, too, because the burning bush exegesis in Luke 20 is something else if you think about it. Um, that's not, I'm going to get sidetracked, though. So, there's a couple of things I want to say. So, I was, I was thinking through it. There's a, so you guys are familiar with the story. God tests Abraham and says, go to Mount Moriah. Take, shocking, What uh, it's better just to read it. He called to him, Abraham. Ready, he replied. Is that always our answer? Ready. Then God said, take your son, Isaac, your only, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Your only beloved son. That sounds kind of familiar. It's almost creedal. There you shall offer him as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. So he went. They traveled for three days. On the third day, Abraham got sight of the place from afar. Then he said to his servants, Both of you stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go on over yonder. His servants are with him. That's the day. Thereupon, Abraham took the wood for the holocaust and laid it on his son Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife the father puts the wood on the son, as a Holocaust. As the two walked on together, Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham father. He said, yes, son, he replied. Isaac continued here are the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the Holocaust son, Abraham answered God himself will provide the sheep for the Holocaust. So. The father puts the sun on the wood or the wood on the sun the father provides the sheep for the holocaust we know how it ends right god stays abraham's hand isaac goes on to be the father of the nation of israel and fulfills the promise that god made to abraham that his descendants shall be as numerous as the stars in heaven who are abraham's descendants it's us those who have faith in god's son jesus and what struck me thinking about the story Except my Bible with him. I pulled it out and read it. I was there. God didn't stay in his hand, his own hand. And the in the, the, the Greek, God himself will provide the sheep for the Holocaust. What it says is God will see to that. In the Greek, God will see to that. And he did. So as Jesus picked up the wood, he had he knew that story, he had it in mind. And he knew God wasn't going to stay his hand. He knew he was going to die. He had to die for us. And while he's on the cross, he calls out to God. There's a difference. There's a heightening. So the story of Isaac and Abraham is a terrible story, right? Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book about it, Fear and Tremble, about how awful it was. And I have to take this leap of faith to believe in a God that asked his son to, you know, his, his servant to do that to the son he promised. So at like, a human level, it's a really uncomfortable story. What God did for us was worse and better because God gave us his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for us. He didn't stay his own hand. He let Jesus go and die. And when Jesus was on the cross and he called out, there wasn't an answer. So as Isaac is carrying the wood, he says, Father, I see we have the wood and the fire. But twice Abraham responds to him in the midst of that story. Jesus didn't get an answer. Not when he said, Aloy, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachta, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No answer from heaven at that point. But it doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end in the forsakenness. And Jesus doesn't lack faith in that moment, because as he dies, he says, telestai, it is finished, and he commends himself into God's hands. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he breathed his last. So even in the midst of his desolation of the cross, even in the midst of his isolation, even in the midst of going through what God didn't make Abraham complete, Jesus has faith and is united with his heavenly father. So as he picked up the wood, I wonder if all this stuff was in, there. I don't know if it was in his head. But all this stuff just came flooding over me. About us. About what the sweetness of Jesus picking up the cross. And uh, the goodness in it. The reminder of the relationship that he had with Joseph, the reminder of his relationship as the only begotten Son of God, born before all ages, God of God, life from God, life, true God from true God. He was going to go and die as a man for us. Um, so I, was, I, was just, I thought about it for a while. And I don't know what the takeaway is from it, but it's why I picked these readings um, something about picking up a cross because Jesus didn't pick up the cross, he moved it uh, and he did have to do something. So that's the basics of my reflection. It's overwhelming how like just the sweetness and the love that Jesus must have felt and the familiarity of touching that wood that he'd worked his whole life. It changed the cross for me and it didn't end there. It doesn't end. It doesn't end on Good Friday. The beginning is on Easter. So here we are anticipating the coming of the child who will die, the one mightier than John the Baptist, as we read in this week's appointed gospel. I don't want to take up too much time, so I'm going to read the passage appointed for today. Then I'll hand it over to you guys. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You guys have the whole thing. Hopefully, you read it before you came. Context is. Uh, did it. So. Then Jesus said to his, the Gospel of our Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit." Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life?" The son of man will come with the angels in his father's glory, and then he will repay everyone according to his conduct. Amen. I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. So I'll highlight a couple of things. Uh, The first is how it begins. Whoever wishes to come after me. uh, It's about it. That's a dispositional thing. It's a desire. There's no action in that yet. People are just thinking about it. That's contemplation. Whoever wishes to come after me. And there's this idea of following. Then he tells you, okay, you wanna come after me? This is is what it means. Must deny himself, there's three parts. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These are all in the singular, by the way. Um, The emphasis, if you look at the Greek, is in the following. Um, they're all different. The morphology of the three verbs are all different. Um, the first two are aorist. The first one's an aorist middle. They're all imperatives. These are commands. Yeah. But because "follow me" is a pr- it's a it's a very rare form. It's a present active imperative. There are very few of those in the New Testament. And like "crucify him," "crucify him." That's active and present imperative they're rare. And that's for emphasis and urgency. So in the follow me, it gets lost. There's an urgency in the following. And that's Jesus's point. Do these things, deny like p- deny yourself, pick up a cross, and then follow me and keep following me. The connection is on the person doing the work the person following. So because it, it, it changes from a wishing to come after to actively following. You're not just thinking about it. You're doing it. Um, Take up the cross. There's two parts. It's not just picking it up and putting it down. You move it. You pick it up and carry it, and you carry it while you follow him. So, as I thought about this for me, it's easy to say, "Well, it's my cross." I think it's something to do with vocation. Uh, there is a letter in. The, oh, yeah, over here. There's a letter in the recent uh, Catholic Herald from a seminarian. And he uh, was praying about the cross. And he says this about he says this about it, every vocation has its unique cross. This cross will be heavy. There'll be times where the pain will be excruciated. It's an interesting use of words. It actually comes from crucifying. <laughs> but it is for this reason, for this cross, that each of us is called to a particular vocation. I used to think that it was the beauty of the individual vocation to which we were called. But I always found this personally confusing. After all, I've always been greatly attracted to both the beauty of marriage and the beauty of the priesthood. But the beauty of one's vocation exists in order to give us the strength to pick up that vocation's cross is the cross to which we are called, the cross that perfects us. So as we think about who we are as a group of men and the crosses that we have to carry both individually and as a group, I just want to offer this old prayer reflection. In this passage for us to think about illuminate on but again it was over it was over i actually cried i don't cry i'm not a cry i cry more as i get older <laughs> i'm uh i actually I actually cried that when the when the reflection hit me because of the intimacy of the moment that jesus touched that way know what this is overwhelming for me and i came away with it thinking we all have crosses to pick up well have crosses to carry they're suffering with them, but not just suffering. In carrying those crosses, we find out who we really are. We find out what we're really supposed to do to support him in his kingdom because our vocations are our calling. We're called to those vocations by God. And we're empowered and equipped by God to do it. Vocations are both relying upon grace and grace providing. It requires grace to get into them. And they provide grace to the people who are in it. For most of us, that's marriage. And there's there's life in it. So with that, I'll let you guys uh, discuss. Thanks.